In our series on sexual health in the U.S., we are speaking today with Dr. Dennis Fortenberry. Dr. Fortenberry is a professor of pediatrics in the School of Medicine at Indiana University in Indianapolis. He is a distinguished researcher of sexuality, especially among adolescents, and has published and lectured widely on the topic, including plenary lectures at recent meetings of the National STD Conference and the International Society for STD Research. Happy New Year, Dennis. Happy New Year, Case. Previous discussions that we've had on this uh, on these series, Dennis, uh, a recurring theme seems to be that we need to normalize sexuality among adolescents and young adults as sort of a prerequisite for effective STD and HIV prevention. Does that strike a chord with you? Very much so. I think all of us who've worked in clinics, who've done research, recognize that the stigma associated with sexuality per se is one of the biggest barriers that we deal with in terms of people adopting healthy sexual behaviors and incorporating STD prevention among those behaviors. And so normalization of sexuality is really the most direct route that I can think of to reducing that stigma and moving it out of the way. So how, how do we accomplish that? What are some of the ideas that you have around this? Well, I think... For me, partly, it's also getting our field to recognize that sexuality is an important part of people's lives and that we can't get as far as we need to go simply by creating a set of prohibitions around sexuality and sex itself. And I think that a lot of STD prevention has been rooted in exactly those kind of prohibitions, especially for adolescents. It actually seems that when you have talked about this in the past, uh, you seem to espouse sort of much more positive attitudes towards teen and adolescent sexuality. You even said in a, a recent presentation that I remember uh, that in order to teach or if you want to teach adolescents to say no to sex, you first have to teach them how to say yes. Yeah, I always seem to say things that get me into trouble. <laughs> my, my feeling about that is that for something that's at least in everyone's developmental trajectory, at least almost everyone's, sex and sexuality become an important part of it. Exactly when that happens and how to what degree is always really part of the big issue, especially for teenagers. But for anyone in a given relationship, when the relationship becomes sexual is always a decision that's under voluntary control. And that ability to know and have the skill to say, that it's time is exactly the kind of thing that I think we have to focus on. So resistance skills, while I think they have a place in talking to young people about sex, I think they don't go far enough in helping people think under what circumstances they would and wouldn't say that sex was okay with a particular person at a particular time. So you've done a lot of, of research in this area, particularly with, with young adults and adolescents. And so how, how has your research, how have your findings sort of helped you sort of inform you about what we need to sort of accomplish in STD and HIV prevention? I've said for a long time that for many people, the, the idea of sexual health and adolescent sexuality were, was an oxymoron. I think part of what our research has shown is that 
young people do can organize themselves in terms of their sexuality. They make decisions about sex that ultimately make sense in a big picture. They may not always make sense in a specific application or a particular time, but in general, their sexual behavior and their sexuality looks very much like that of adults. The reasons they have sex, the things that they get out of it, the mistakes they make with sex, all of it looks entirely human in that sense. So what are currently some of the main questions uh, in the interface between what you describe as sex research and SD prevention research? Yeah, I, I see that in sort of three ways. One is just thinking about sex itself as a social activity, since at least from an STD perspective, there's always another person involved. So that makes it social. So understanding exactly how that social relationship is negotiated and conducted, I think, is something that we will never understand enough of. As I've worked with people who spend a lot of time doing various types of research, I've been struck by the need to better understand sort of the neurophysiology and the neuropsychology of sex, and that within that, we begin to understand why it is that sex occurs in ways that people would clearly identify as being risky, and yet it occurs anyway. And sometimes the risk itself get, gets incorporated into the sex. And I think in the past, many people see that as individuals' moral failings or the product of intoxication or the product of failure to control oneself. But I think a better understanding of the neurophysiology of arousal and inhibition of arousal would give us a better understanding of how to build interventions that make more sense in some ways. I also have a sense that we need to know more and apply more about the physiology of sex itself, how, our, how genital organs respond sexually and how they really create the exact environment that these organisms have evolved to exploit. Going back to what you were just saying about risky sex and, and sort of the circumstances in which that occurred, I'm, I'm sort of curious how you sort of conceptualize that, because it seems like that there are certain circumstances where risky sex is not necessarily kind of a, an unfortunate byproduct of the behavior. Is that right? Um, I think that there is some variation in how people are put together, and I think it's not as if we're programmed in some completely fixed way to respond in certain ways in sexual situations. And there, there's clearly variation in terms of how some people interpret cues and how they respond to them. One of my colleagues, John Bancroft, has developed an entire paradigm thinking about sort of this balance between sexual inhibition and, and sexual excitation and how individuals respond differently in different circumstances. Could you say a few more things about that? Yeah, it's, it's really a way to try to begin to integrate at least some understanding of, of neurophysiology, how people's, how brain systems work together, interpret situations, and then allow someone to be physically excited, sexually aroused, or not. And so, and it's not something that I think is 
has been done in exquisite detail. But I think workers like him, some other people, people are beginning to work through with functional MRI, PET scanning, those kinds of things, understanding exactly how the brain reacts, which parts of the brain react in different kinds of circumstances, I think begin to give us a sense of why some people in some circumstances do things that even say at the time were risky. And certainly, you know, when you talk to people in clinics, as they reflect back on their sexual encounters, many of them will say, I knew at the time that that was risky, that they were taking a chance. And their arousal, whatever it was, superseded that, and they went forward with the sexual encounter. Right. So if we then come back and say, well, that was really risky, then that would be kind of a kind of a, a statement of fact and not necessarily very helpful kind of uh, in, in a prevention sense. Right. But it, it certainly might help us understand why some people do that, and especially do it in repeated ways. And then with those kinds of findings, could it actually help us in, in framing prevention messages? Is that what you're ultimately, is that sort of the, the ultimate outcome of this? I think so. I think it would make us better. I think it would allow us to really frame prevention in a different way, probably tailor it to individuals better. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of work to be done. That's, there are several steps between what I'm talking about and that kind of intervention. But I think that's a, an important direction for the prevention field to go. Do you think, or would you agree with the statement that perhaps, you know, the, the change in the political environment that we're currently experiencing is, is going to make this type of work easier? Is it going to make our, our lives easier in, in developing research around this area and prevention? Well, yes and no. And yes, in the sense that we've gone through a fairly long period of time when neither the facts nor the truth were particularly relevant to policy. And so a lot of public health decisions about sexuality and STD prevention were driven by dogma and not by science. And I think we may be at a place where it'll be easier to simply do the science and let the science speak for itself. The truth is this kind of work is, has always been difficult always been radical, and I think I don't really foresee a time when it won't be. And why is that? This particular area in people's lives continues to be one that raises strong emotions, strong feelings about the topic, this issue of stigma about what constitutes proper sexual behavior continues to be pretty intensely ingrained not just in American society, it's actually through all societies. So it's not just a, a cultural determination. You're, you're, you're feeling that this actually transcends cultural boundaries. I think so. But obviously different societies have made different decisions about it, but almost all of them have been at the same place at some point or another. And I think our recent experience in this country shows that you can go back and forth fairly considerably. So there are not sort of models out there that you would think that we, that we should look at or, or emulate? Um, I, will, I think there are probably lessons to be learned, but I still think that that's probably work that we have to do pretty substantially on our own in this country.
Okay. Well, with that, thank you very much, Dennis. You're welcome. Dr. Dennis Fortenberry is a professor of pediatrics in the School of Medicine at Indiana University in Indianapolis. SD podcasts are produced by Ben Westergaard for the Internet and SD Center of Excellence. I'm Kay Zriedmeyer for SD Prevention Online. <laughs>